Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. You are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on republicbroadcasting.org. And I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you tonight as every night from the palatial home recording studios here in the western and sunny climes of western Japan on uh, what is, uh, well, uh, I suppose a pretty nice day outside, but unfortunately the weather does not uh, accurately portray what is taking place in the minds of many people around the world and especially in the windy city of Chicago right now as they brace for the upcoming, well, hurricane force uh, a typhoon-type uh, destruction of the NATO summit, which is coming to Chicago in, in very short uh, order here. And as anyone who's been watching the New World Next Week video series that I'm doing with James Evan Pilato on a weekly basis knows uh, Chicago is definitely bracing for what is to come with this NATO summit that's uh, going to be taking place. Uh, with uh, just startling headlines coming out on a more and more routine basis, including the one that we went over on the last issue of New World Next Week, Milwaukee Red Cross told to prep for Chicago evacuation during NATO summit, or, uh, or for example, talking about the, um, uh, the no-fly zone that has been instituted or is going to be enforced with a shoot-to-kill orders during the NATO summit. Uh, just more and more alarming headlines about what's going to be taking place in terms of the security for that summit. So it's going to be interesting to talk to tonight's guest. We're going to be talking to Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO International. And I have uh, had him on a couple of times now to talk about NATO and what they're doing. So if you want to go back through the archives, uh, you can, of course, go to CorporateReport.com and just type Rick Rosoff into the search bar, and you'll be able to find our previous conversations. And in those conversations, I very much exhorted people to go to Stop NATO's homepage at RickRosoff.wordpress.com. I would redouble my, uh, my exhortation on that front today because every single day just extremely important information coming out. And some very, very ex- important uh, articles have been written by Mr. Rozov recently that I'm going to be getting into tonight on the program. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. I'm not looking forward to the NATO summit in general, but uh, perhaps there is a chance that we'll be able to use the political momentum created by this to at least raise awareness of what NATO is really doing and the agenda that they're really working towards. And as always, if you want to get in on tonight's conversation and talk a little bit about NATO with Rick Rosoff, the phone lines will be wide open at 1-800-313-9443. That's 1-800-313-9443. But just in the first couple of minutes here, let me go through some of the other guests that we're going to have on in this jam-packed week. Uh, not only Rick Rosoff tonight, but tomorrow night we're going to be t- talking once again to the blind JFK researcher, Charles Ocelli, picking up from where we left off back on November 22nd of last year, the anniversary, of course, of the JFK assassination, where we were talking about Lee Harvey Oswald and some of the very strange parts about that story. He's going to be on tomorrow night to, to continue going over that. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to be talking once again to Julio Rauseo, also in Chicago, who's going to be uh, talking about the NATO upcoming NATO summit and the pre- preparations that are going on in the wind- Windy City for that summit. And then on Thursday night, we're going to be talking to Joshua Blakeney, who we've talked to before. He's now reporting for Press TV and uh, filing uh, all sorts of reports on various issues in Canada. We're going to be talking about a range of issues with him. And then Friday night, of course, the Friday night highlights edition of this broadcast and as people uh, who are listening and tuned in no doubt are aware by now, Corbett Report Radio will be going on in my three-week vacation that I'm going to be going on starting the, this weekend. So on Monday nights, once again, every Monday night, May 14th, 21st, and 28th, it's going to be Stefan Molyneux of freedomainradio.com taking over the broadcast. 
Uh, Tuesday nights, it's going to be John Rappaport of NoMoreFakeNews.com. Wednesday nights, Holland Van Den Neuenhoff of AnobleLie.com. Thursday nights, James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com. And Friday nights, Richard Grove of TragedyAndHope.com. Once again, that will be starting next week and going right through till the end of the month. So every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a different host each of those nights taking over the reins of the broadcast. And I have no doubt doing a fascinating and interesting job. On that note, let's take a short break. We'll be right back with Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO International. serious attack on the civil rights of every person in Chicago is underway and should disgust every thinking Chicagoan for its brazenness. The run-up to the May 20th, 21st NATO summit has seen an effort by some to spread unnecessary fear of violence. The intention of this fear-mongering is to scare people from exercising the right to protest, a fundamental right enshrined in the First Amendment. Well, so, are, so goes the opening lines of a very interesting editorial in the Chicago Tribune by Andy Thayer entitled, Why Will March? And I will put that in the show notes for today's episode so you can go and peruse that for yourself at corporatereport.com slash radio. But at any rate, tonight we're talking to Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO International, who will also be in Chicago and I imagine will also be part of that protest. So let's bring him up. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the program tonight. Yeah, it's always an honor to be on your program, James. Thanks for having me again. All right. Well, let's let's start by talking about that uh, that very interesting ar- article by Andy Thayer and his uh, take on why we'll march. And at the risk of putting the cart before the horse, perhaps we should uh, start with the conclusion tonight and talk a little bit about why it is important that people be protesting this upcoming NATO summit. Yeah, it's it's vitally important that uh, people not only in the Midwest of the United States, but you know, whoever can be, you're on vacation, James, you're invited. But in, in all seriousness. <laughs> Wrong uh, hemisphere. Almost. Yeah, but, but I mean, seriously, that uh, there be a big turnout. It, this is, an, in, a, in a very real sense, and I don't exaggerate, uh, when 3,000 or more people congregate in Chicago, this is, by the way, uh, unprecedented in Chicago's history, where there'll be as many as 60 heads of state and government, uh, heads of state and heads of government, uh, uh, in Chicago at one time is something that's never occurred before in this city, the third largest in the United States, but uh, argue, is, to the best of my knowledge, in any American city outside of New York, where the United Nations is located, of course, and Washington. Uh, so it's an opportunity of, of reflecting upon and protesting against what has uh, the entire post-Cold War uh, period's broken promise, if you will, uh, that, uh, you know, with the end of the bi- bipolar world and, and uh, the conflict in the United States and the Soviet Union and so forth, uh, the unspoken, uh, perhaps, but, you know, the, the, the strongly implied understanding there would be an era of peace, of disarmament, uh, there would be a lack of armed, uh, you know, at least a diminution of uh, lack uh, armed hostilities in the world and so forth. And as we know, you know, for the past 21 years, the opposite has been the case. There have been uh, not only a, a series of major armed conflicts, but there's really been a period of incessant warfare. And uh, accompanied by, and uh, in many cases a result of, uh, the emergence of uh, global NATO, as, it, uh, as many of its advocates refer to it openly, 
you know, as uh, an unparalleled uh, military force in the world. So th- this is an opportunity to voice, uh, you know, long overdue, a generation-old uh, uh, sense of protest against, uh, you know, the violation of the promises uh, that people expected or were given, uh, you know, in the post-Cold War period, and to demand an end to uh, unnecessary uh, or, uh, you know, unjustified military actions around the world. Uh, as as embodied, you know, by NATO uh, and their heads of state gathering in Chicago, its heads of state rather gathering in Chicago. <laughs> exactly right, and I, th- I I imagine that most of the listenership will be on board with that and will understand exactly the type of agenda that you're you're pointing out there, and that that is the reason that people need to assemble and to protest and and to ex- assert their First Amendment right to protest, as uh, Andy Thayer was pointing out in that editorial. But let, let's get into some of the specifics. And uh, w- one headline that absolutely grabbed my attention recently on Stop NATO was, Commander, NATO provides Pentagon base for global operations, And uh, in which you note an interesting, um, very candid conversation with Admiral James Stavridis, or Stavridis, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, of, uh, of the American uh, Armed Forces. So I, I'm wondering if you could expand a little bit on that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, by the way, you know, it, it's really... Uh, uh, very gratifying to be on a show where the, where the host uh, informs me as much as I do him, and and we have the you know the the tenor of uh, exchange of information that we do, James. I'm greatly appreciative of that. Um, uh, James Stavridis uh, is a U.S. four-star admiral who occupies uh, you know what for over half a century has been the coterminous or overlapping or dual commands of. Uh, the top military command for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, what's called the Supreme uh, Allied Commander Europe, as well as uh, being commander of U.S. European Command. The two positions are, are simultaneous. Uh, though, uh, you know, many of your listeners may not know, at one time they weren't, uh, before the U.S. set up the European Command. And the first Supreme Allied Commander Europe for NATO was Dwight D. Eisenhower. As the first uh, chairman of the NATO Military Committee was General Omar Bradley. So, uh, you know, the case could, re- could, be, could be strongly made that uh, what NATO represented was, you know, by no means an end of the Second World War and uh, the beginning of a new era, but in many ways the continuation of the Second World War when you look at the top military commanders, um, you know, for NATO uh, since its, its inception. However, with Stavridis, uh, you know, he, he quite bluntly uh, stated that as uh, the Pentagon and Washington as a whole uh, shifted em- its emphasis towards the, what's called the Asian pivot, moving into the Asia-Pacific region with um, where the U.S. already has a disproportionate amount of its warships and, and general military hardware concentrated, but intensifies uh, you know, the shift in that direction as well as into the Middle East, that the uh, United States basically counts on, counts on its NATO allies to, um, uh, I don't know how else to put this, uh, assume additional responsibilities, but in essence to police uh, Europe, the Mediterranean Sea Basin, which would include not only southern Europe and northern Africa and the the western part of the Middle East, uh, the South Caucasus and other areas, thereby freeing up uh, the Pentagon to uh, move, you know, to points east. Uh, But what in essence is then um, perhaps, uh, you know, not formally announced as such, but a, a division of, of the world uh, between the United States and its major uh, NATO allies in Western Europe. 
So uh, the idea is that, and you know, Stavridis and his colleagues in European Command, in the article you're talking about in a related one, were uh, boasting of the fact that over the past decade, uh, troops in uh, NATO countries have ser- served along uh, with those from the United States, and particularly Afghanistan and Iraq, and that that combat interoperability, to use the term NATO is fond of, uh, you know, has to be continued and strengthened. So what that was is really is um, candid an acknowledgement, as I've seen, that uh, w- uh, the major purpose of the war in Afghanistan, as I've argued for years, James, you're probably aware, is, uh, you know, has basically been a training ground to uh, break in uh, combat forces from, at the moment, 50 nations, you know, serving under NATO's International Security Assistance Force, and uh, I don't have to tell your listeners how unparalleled and unprecedented this is uh, to have military forces from uh, 50 countries serving under one military command in one comparatively small country. So this is, uh, you know, the emergence of NATO as a um, as a global military expeditionary force, uh, one that is at the beck and call of any of the major NATO nations whenever they choose to. Uh, launch military actions as France and Britain are, you know, arguably in the first instance did against Libya last year. That's right. And to, to flesh that out, the related article that you're talking about there is, uh, under the headline Pentagon Wars Used to Train Global NATO Expeditionary Force, in which it points out, uh, quite startlingly, even for myself, uh, just, uh, to actually sit back and put these numbers into context. In the past 17 years, millions of troops from approximately 60 nations have served under NATO command in wars and post-war zones in several countries outside of the military bloc's territory. And you go through some of the numbers there in Bosnia and Kosovo and, uh, through, through the, um, Manas Transit Center in Kyrgyzstan and on their way to Afghanistan, uh, all, all sorts of different places where NATO has been involved. Let, let's just put some of those numbers into perspective for people. Right. I mean, in, in, it's one of those cases, James, where, uh, you suspect something, but the more you look into it and you're able to add up the numbers, you know, the more truly startling and, and alarming, you know, it really becomes. Because, uh, you know, although, uh, at any given time, uh, the numbers may not be, um, you know, colossal or monumental. Uh, you know, I, I did mention in the article that in 1995 at first, NATO had 60,000 60, troops uh, serving with the stabilization force in Bosnia, and, and four years later, 50,000 in Kosovo, and at peak strength, uh, serving under NATO now, not under Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, as many as 140,000 troops in Afghanistan, and a number of other missions around the world, including last year's uh, so-called Operation Unified Protector, uh, the naval blockade and air war in Libya, that if you factor in uh, troop rotations, that is the troops, you know, depending on the nation and the, the branch of the service and so forth, may be there for six months or a year or so forth, and you start estimating how many uh, aggregate troops that would be from 1995 to the present day, you're talking easily about millions of, of forces. So the NATO has been able to fashion and consolidate um, a mobile multinational uh, military force that uh, under combat or in combat zones has been, uh, you know, able to achieve interoperability. This includes, you know, includes um, weapon systems, uh, military tactics, language, presumably English in most instances, and, uh, you know, this is not only multinational, it's supranational, 
and it represents something the likes of which the world has never seen before. If you take all the U.S. U.N. mandated uh, military intervention, we have a commercial coming up. <laughs> we are just on the verge of uh, a commercial break, so just hold on right there with that thought, and uh, we'll pause for some brief uh, messages. But on that note, if anyone else, of course, wants to get in on the conversation and talk a little bit about NATO or ask some questions to Rick Rosoff, the phone lines are open, 1-800-313-9443. And on that note, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. Broadcast friends, this is Corporate Report Radio, and you are tuned into Republic Broadcasting this Monday evening as we're talking to Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO at rickrosoff.wordpress.com. And for those of you out there who may, may be wondering, that's Rick Rosoff, R I C K R O Z O F F. And of course, the link will be in the show notes for tonight's episode at corbettreport.com slash radio. But Rick, just before the break, we were talking about the global scope of NATO and uh, the way that it's expanded out in its mandate over the years. Uh, perhaps you can finish up with your thought from before the break. Hello, Rick. Hello, James. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear you there. Okay, sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, I'm okay. very sorry. There might have been a problem with my phone. No, but I was saying it's late in the day here in Chicago, uh, still May the 7th. And I began my day by putting on the computer and, and uh, visiting various sites, as we all do, and uh, particularly Pajwak Afghan News, which is an English-language uh, news site in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. To read that, as uh, many of your listeners have heard, uh, 20 Afghan civilians have been killed in two NATO airstrikes, including a, a mother and five of her children. That's you know that's how the day begins when you read the news now. Uh, you know, NATO carnage in Afghanistan. Uh, later in the day, I read in uh, Tanyug uh, news agency from uh, Serbia that today marked the 13th anniversary of NATO's uh, uh, deadly bombing of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade in 1999 on May 7th that uh, killed three journalists and wounded 17 other people. And uh, roughly a week ago, there was an article in the Indian newspaper, the two um, Indian uh, fishermen, I believe, but two Indian nationals have been killed by uh, you know, NATO forces in the Indian Ocean as part of what NATO calls Operation Ocean Shield. Uh, roughly a year ago, the captain of a Taiwanese fishing vessel in or near the Gulf of Aden had been killed by NATO forces. At roughly the same time, two Iranian fishermen had been wounded and three Somali civilians killed by NATO forces. Uh, last November, You'll recall, James, uh, at least 24 Pakistani soldiers were killed when NATO attacked a border post in Moman Agency in northwest Pakistan. And th these are almost daily occurrences, uh, you know, in addition to the big efforts like Afghanistan or Libya or the Balkans. And the fact that the world has become acclimatized or inured uh, to this military force, you know, killing at will and, uh, you know, offering something short even of an apology uh, for these actions, either lying about them. Uh, it's still the contention of NATO and the United States, for example, that they bombed the Chinese embassy and you know, hit it simultaneously in a triangulated missile strike uh, by accident because they were using the wrong map or the wrong telephone book. I mean, I don't know how credulous they expect people to be. but <laughs> Too credulous, but, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, to accept something like that and to make an error of that gravity and of that uh, stature, you know, without, uh, you know, having eliminated any possibility of occurring suggests it was an intentional act, of course. 
but when NATO uh, leaders meet here in Chicago, and this will be not only heads of state and heads of government for countries that have that position, prime ministers, that is, but, you know, foreign ministers, defense ministers, um, military and security and secret service entourages accompanying them and so forth, when they converge on Chicago, and I'm glad you cited uh, excerpts of the article by Andy Thayer of Coalition Against NATO G8 War and Poverty Agenda, because I think he focused on what NATO means domestically uh, to its respective NATO member states. There was a, uh, an incident about three or four weeks ago in the local Chicago press that several Blackhawk hel- helicopter gunships were spotted over the downtown area of Chicago in the early morning hours, and this is weeks in advance of the summit. Uh, you've, you've talked about a no-fly zone, including, uh, you know, orders to shoot down aircraft. A story surfaced roughly a week and a half ago that the Joliet prison, which has been closed for a decade, uh, could be used to, uh, to imprison, uh, anti-NATO protesters, uh, gathering for the May 20th, 21st summit. Uh, this is a, a horrendous, uh, organization. There's no reason to exist. I was watching a video somebody sent me earlier today by a retired French brigadier general who had been stationed in the Balkans in the 90s and went through the whole litany of, of lies uh, that were used to justify the activation of NATO as a war-fighting force, first in Bosnia and later in Kosovo. And he made a statement, James, that really hit me. You know, towards the end he said something to the effect that uh, he wasn't certain that the world would be able to recover morally from the lies that it's, it has accepted and the crimes that it has tolerated. And I or really not, not even tolerated so much as uh, ignored to a large extent. And, and what a sad indictment of the society that we're living in, that for those uh, daily atrocities that you were talking about earlier, you had to turn, in many cases, to the foreign press to even hear anything about them. Yes, and they're almost buried even in the foreign press. I mean, or, or by the time they uh, come into the... Uh, to the local press, let's talk about, for example, you know, the just horrific uh, massacre in Kandahar province in March where uh, U.S. servicemen, uh, you know, if you believe the official story, uh, unaccompanied by any of his uh, comrades, uh, goes into two Afghan villages and uh, methodically murders 17 civilians. and then Indeed, a, a very important story, but again, we're, we're just coming up against a break, so we'll hold on to that, but we will go into, into a little bit more detail on that story after this break. And also, we have one caller waiting on the line. We'll go straight to him after the break as well. If anyone else would like to get in on the conversation, 1-800-313-9443. On that note, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. That's right, friends. We're back here on Corporate Report Radio talking to Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO at rickrosoff.wordpress.com talking about NATO as a global expeditionary force and an extension of the Pentagon and really an extension of American imperial hegemony around the world and something that really needs to be to be actively protested against in the upcoming Chicago summit. More on which shortly, but first we have a caller waiting on the line quite patiently. We have Henry in Connecticut. So Henry, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, hi. How are you doing? Uh, sort of a new caller. Um, I have a question for your guests, too. All right. 
You said they had this heli- uh, two black helicopters like weeks before the summit uh, flying over. I was wondering, too, I know this sounds a little weird. I have a couple questions, but this is one. If, let's say, somebody happened to have a bazooka, and I'm not, it's not a fantasy, I'm just saying for real, and they shot one of them down, all right, and let's say they were, uh, the, the person didn't get caught, they didn't actually see who did it, and maybe they ran away or whatever, uh, what would happen? Would they really go out of their way to try to find them, or, um, or I guess that would just be it? No, I mean, I can, imagine, I can imagine a different scenario that, you know, some fellow Chicago in a mine hears and sees this thing hovering over his house at 2 or 3 in the morning or something, has no idea of what it is, and, in, you know, self-defense does something that, uh, you know, brings the helicopter down or something. Uh, how could he be held accountable? Well, I mean, you know, it, because under the Constitution, you're supposed to uh, form militia and uh, stop an invasion from a foreign force, especially something uh, unidentified. Um, you know, I, as long as they don't see you, um, you know, <laughs> and you fired it, I mean, uh, you I, brought them down. I think that would only serve to actually yeah. further the agenda of what's going on, though, because, right. of course, that's the perfect cover for the implementation of the outright police state that they're that they're bringing into people's faces. So, uh, so I think that's the type of thing that they're well, really then, yeah, about. and then they'll have more militia, and then there'll be more of them shot down. But I, I, well, I'll move on from that. You said something else that really sort of angered me too, not with you from you, but from this NATO thing. You said that uh, um, one of you said that there was a, a situation that with this NATO summit that's coming in Chicago, they have orders in certain areas to shoot to kill. American citizens? Uh, not not so much that to um, uh, shoot down aircraft that haven't been cleared if they if you know the, uh, uh, fly into areas that have been declared uh, declared a no fly zone. You know what a perfect irony, right? Is that you would have a no fly zone in uh, the middle, you know, the heartland of the United States in Chicago, um, you know, against the backdrop of a NATO summit when NATO itself is infamous for having enforced so-called no fly zones from the Balkans to North Africa. Uh, you know, there's, there's a bit of, uh, you know, the chickens coming home to roost. Yeah, because, see, that kind of pissed me off because well, here's the thing. The nerve of them to have something, okay, you're talking about people from something from the air, okay? I thought it was the ground, the air, anywhere, even the ground. Because I remember that dummy who wasn't even elected the second time, um, uh, Bush, um, if, you know, we'd be invaded by tens of thousands of all these illegal third-world people south of the border, Mexicans and stuff, some of them having guns and everything, and they act like the American citizens, uh, even the farmers there, because they're white or this or that or whatever, the border of Texas, Arizona, aren't supposed to pick up guns and protect their their country from a foreign invasion of a foreign force because uh, we're lazy and just supposed to let anything to come here to work here and downsize our wages and standard living and jobs, you know, in an effort to make us, you know, multicultural or whatever with that crap. And so I remember there's some people threatening to... Or that if they saw weapons and uh, to protect the border and form militias that, uh, you know, Bush was trying to threaten them, although that was illegal what Bush was doing with that because technically the Constitution they have a right to defend their borders if the government's not going to. Um, and there was, you know, somebody had to imagine somebody saying shoot to kill with that crap that's coming over the border. You know, there'd be this and that and whatever, but it's okay for these people in Chicago and this NATO organization, which is a, a part of UN crap anyway, even in Germany that time when uh, Gerhard Schroeder was there, to have some shoot to kill if the people get too close, you know. 
Right, um, and, so, and, and shoot to kill does come from what the media is reporting. There's a, a headline at CBS Chicago, no-fly zone to be enforced by shoot to kill order during NATO summit. But it is talking about the no-fly zone. It's uh, within 10 nautical miles of downtown Chicago at altitudes below 18,000 feet. Anything flying in that space is going to be shot down, apparently. So um, just um, more more implementation of the outright police state. At any rate, Henry, thank you so much for the call. Thank you for the thoughts. Uh, Rick, let's let's return to what you were talking about just before the break there with the, the massacre in Kandahar that took place uh, in, in startling fashion in March with the eyes of the world uh, watching on. Let's talk a little bit about that incident. Well, as, as you had indicated earlier in, in our discussion, uh, these stories, you know, as, as uh, high profile as they are, um, receive minimal coverage for a very brief period of time. They're then, um, you know, uh, relegated to obscurity. You don't hear anything more about it. And, uh, you know, comments, uh, you were quoting, uh, or you were alluding to James Tavridis, the, the NATO commander in Europe earlier, who made a statement in one of the two articles from the um, Pentagon's website a couple of days ago, something about uh, words to the effect of most, you know, despite certain unfortunate incidents, uh, you know, everything's going wonderfully in Afghanistan. Uh, and, of course, the first incident that comes to mind that he's glossing over in that manner uh, is that massacre in Kandahar, as well as the following months, uh, you know, rebel assault on the capital of the, of the country in Kabul. Uh, so that, uh, you know, the, the uh, corporate media, uh, you know, very dutifully uh, plays the role of lapdog and um, either deep sixes stories that are inconvenient to Washington and the Pentagon, um, or spins them in such a manner as to effectively distort the you know the truth about them and so forth. So I mean the, the question, the, the fact that we have not heard anything about the Kandahar massacre in two months uh, gives you know whereas I believe uh, with something like the Milai massacre or something comparable. Uh, 40 years ago, you would have heard about it for quite a period of time. It would have been a story until some resolution. But now, you know, it was brought about. But you know, now they can, uh, you know, essentially kill the story, and that's it. And, and people don't ask any questions. As horrendous as it was. Exactly right, and that is the horrendous part of all of this. I think it's the complicity of of the media in this, but also, of course, of the public itself for not holding the uh, the media accountable, for not holding the government accountable, or however that system is supposed to work. It's really <laughs> no, broken. No, I mean you make that. You're absolutely correct on that one. You know, there is a, an abdication of moral responsibility on behalf of the informed public, and and there's no excuse for any member of the public not to be informed. Certainly, with access to the internet. Uh, that most everybody has, so that people have to make a conscious and deliberate effort not to pay attention to these things or to put them out of their minds as, you know, if they create any cognitive dissonance or discomfort discomfort or something, um, you know, so that uh, they attend to, you know, something trivial or unimportant uh, at the expense of, you know, issues of, you know, the sort we're talking about. But, you know, back to the question of the NATO summit itself, uh, this is, uh, you know, so I, I gave a talk, uh, I was amongst people who gave a talk at an event a couple, three weeks ago where one of the people uh, uh, in the audience said, if there is not a uh, substantive, a mass demonstration against NATO on the 20th and 21st, then this will be read, and he was correct, this will be read in Washington as a uh, carte blanche or a green light uh, to continue acts of military adventurism and aggression around the world, and he cited particularly, it'll be seen as a, um, you know, a de facto uh, authorization uh, for things like an attack against Iran. 
But in other words, there is no um, public protest or mobilized protest uh, opposition. And that will be read, you know, that will be followed very closely, uh, you know, by policymakers in Washington. And they, you know, will see if there isn't opposition, and they, you know, they can uh, proceed with impunity on further acts of, uh, you know, military aggression. And I think that's an important point. It, it's too bad. It's it's very sad to see what I think has really been a demoralization of, of any type of anti-war movement in the wake of the protests that were mobilized against the Iraq War, which so signally failed to stop or to even derail those plans, despite the millions of people who paraded out into the streets. And absolutely nothing seemed to have been accomplished. And I think that really did demoralize so many people. And uh, and it's a good question of how to overcome that. But but on that note, we have another caller on the line. We have Bill in Idaho. So let's go to the calls. Uh, Bill, thanks for calling in tonight. Well, thank you for your service to the Republic, both of you and all the listeners. I just would mention that uh, on uh, Saturday, I believe I mentioned the discussion of Mr. Michael Shaw, freedomadvocates.com. He was on with Deanna Spingola, their morning broadcast on Republic Broadcasting. And uh, he... Uh, made a very compelling case on the uh, second hour of the broadcast for misprison of treason. I'd only mention it by virtue of the fact that this uh, ongoing uh, RICO uh, uh, behavior of what was once our government uh, was uh, noted in a consolidated case 72054 with an appellate number of 72. Uh, 110 and the Supreme Court number 79526 of the Circuit Court number CR 196-429F, aka CR 196-530FX. It was filed on July 20th of 1998. Compelling story and, uh, uh, recurrent history of this RICO international crime family's behavior would make a very, very strong case for this prison of treason for not only the governor of the state of Illinois, but also then the uh, mayor of that town in Chicago as well. Well, that, that's right, and for those who don't know out there, misprision of te- treason is a common law uh, practice called, that is supposed to hold people accountable for uh, allowing treason to happen and not reporting it to a proper authority. And there were some uh, 9-11 truth uh, movement groups that were going around a few years ago trying to use misprision of treason as a way of uh, basically calling out people in the government who weren't interested in, in actually looking at the actual questions about 9-11 and, and, and saying that that's, that basically amounts to misprision of treason. So it's certainly something that's been around for a few years uh, in the in the air, in the political climate. But do you have a question in particular for Rick tonight? Well, uh, considering all the evidence that he and you have been uh, uh, telling the audience and that, would it not be a reasonable course considering uh, NATO's ability to continue uh, not only their war criminal behavior, but to bring it to our shores to notice Mr. Obama in Washington, D.C., that this is hanging over his head. And as soon as or if they demonstrate this behavior in Chicago and things go awry, it is an active case. That 
that brings it to an international uh, uh, head as far as identifying these war criminals and who their agents at large are nationally and certainly internationally. Right. right. Interesting question. Rick, your thoughts? I have to defer to the two of you. You're far better informed than I am on, on that question. I, I have to confess not even being aware of it. Uh, but I would say this along those lines, that it was exactly uh, about a year ago uh, during NATO's first war in Africa, you know, again, so-called Operation Unified Protector, when, uh, you know, the, the head of state and commander-in-chief here, uh, Barack Obama, you know, summarily dismissed the, the war powers resolution, uh, refused, you know, rather arrogantly and contemptuously uh, to address congressional concerns that he uh, appear before Congress after 60 days of the beginning of hostilities and effectively, uh, you know, killed the war powers uh, resolution of almost 40 years ago. Uh, as an, an effective, uh, you know, block on uh, executive dictatorship. Um, uh, yeah, well, yes. I mean, that's that's uh, certainly in the international realm. That's number one. Number two is the fact that, uh, as has been pointed out, and I remember this vividly because I was involved in local politics at the time. But in 1983, against all odds, uh, we elected a, a reform uh, mayor in Chicago, the late Harold Washington. Uh, and, and beat both wings of the very well-entrenched Chicago ma machine. And a number of fascinating things happened during that period in Chicago, slightly over four years. But one of them was a resolution introduced in and passed by the, the city council of Chicago uh, declaring Chicago a nuclear-free zone. It was the first major American city to do so. And although, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, uh, NATO is not bringing nuclear weapons into Chicago for the summit, it is nevertheless by its own express designation a nuclear alliance. One of the uh, topics that will be discussed at the summit in Chicago is what NATO refers to as defense and deterrence posture review, which we'll discuss as the last summit did in, in Lisbon, Portugal, in November of 2010, the fact that NATO... Um, will continue to use a combination of conventional and nuclear armaments. And it'll be glossed over with statements like, as long as there are nuclear weapons in the world, I don't know where they mean, North America, Asia. Uh, but the, the fact that this is a violation, certainly, of the spirit of that ordinance, uh, where the city of Chicago has declared itself to be in opposition to nuclear weapons, and to have the world's only nuclear alliance hold its summit here, you know, is, is uh, if not a, a breach of the law in Chicago, it's certainly a violation of the spirit of that ordinance. All right, excellent. Well, well, thank you for those thoughts, Bill. Uh, thank you for the call. And uh, and I really want to get to this because I think it's absolutely fascinating from a geopolitical uh, perspective. But let's talk a little bit about the NATO missile shield. I know you were on Press TV recently talking about the potential of the NATO missile shield as a first strike system in opposition to the propaganda that's being put out about it. Let, let's talk a little bit about that issue. Yeah, I'm glad you raised that. Uh, a number of articles have been circulating. You've probably received some of them. And it's, um, I don't doubt the sincerity of the people uh, putting them out. In many cases, you know, they're, they're scientists. And, uh, but there is a fallback position that says the uh, European phase adaptive approach and related the interceptor missile programs that uh, have now been endorsed by NATO as of their last summit in uh, in Lisbon in 2010, you know, uh, focusing on the fact that this shield may be ineffective. You've seen this sort of material, James, now, and your listeners, Absolutely. I'm sure, have. 
And, uh, you know, which is quite beside the point, what does that mean in the context of uh, the head of the Russian military, Nikolai Makarov, uh, last week stating that Russia may be compelled to launch preemptive attacks against uh, interceptor missile sites in Eastern Europe? Uh, does it suggest he's lying? Does it suggest he doesn't know what he's talking about? Uh, there was a two-day conference in Moscow, as you know, uh, that included uh, computer-simulated um, demonstrations of what the missile shield potentially could do. And, you know, what what the uh, conventional wisdom uh, is, is that this is a four-phased program that uh, has already begun. NATO is going to announce what they'll refer to as the interim capacity or initial operational capability of the missile shield in uh, in Europe at its summit in Chicago. They'll say the first phase of it which includes the uh, portable or transportable. Uh, we can get back to this, I guess. Absolutely, yes. And uh, and unfortunately, I think it's sad, sadly the case that to the extent that people pay any attention whatsoever to what the Russians are, are saying about this, um, it's probably only to portray them as completely irrational and capable of, uh, of being talked to or reasoned with. Paranoid, well, know, James. Paranoid. Well, paranoid, yes, exactly. Well, let's take a short break, and we'll be back to finish up tonight's broadcast right after this. Welcome back to the final moments of Corbett Report Radio here on Corbett Report Radio and, uh, sorry, here on RepublicBroadcasting.org. I almost gave out my own address. Oops. Um, and tonight we're talking to Rick Rosoff of Stop NATO International, rickrosoff.wordpress.com, and we've been talking about some of the issues surrounding the upcoming NATO summit in Chicago being held on May 20th and 21st. It's going to be a very interesting summit for a lot of reasons, and hopefully because it will certainly garner a lot of attention for the massive protests that will be taking place there, or perhaps uh, perhaps not. I suppose that remains to be determined, and it's up to the people out there who are listening to my voice who are able to get to the, the area to, to attempt to add their voices to the mix to make that so. But uh, just before the break, we were talking about the NATO missile shield. So, Rick, let's finish up with that. Yeah, in the uh, third and fourth phases of what's called the European Phase Adaptive Approach, initially solely a U.S. initiative until the last NATO summit, at which point it was endorsed by the 28-member bloc. Uh, what will happen is the uh, range of the interception as well as the velocity of the missiles used. And these are what are called kinetic or hit-to-kill missiles. They do not carry, uh, you know, a charge. Uh, but they, they hit another missile, which could, you know, carry a nuclear warhead. And as to what happens to the debris from that, that's another question. But what, what the concern is, is that progressively they're going to go from short to medium to intermediate range interception. And the fear, uh, certainly in Russian military circles, is once it reaches the uh, third and fourth phases, they would effectively be able to intercept a Russian ICBM. Which would give it the uh, the ability to neutralize the uh, you know the d- deterrence uh, capacity of, of Russia and other countries, and essentially leave those nations uh, vulnerable to potential first strike nuclear or conventional attacks without without the ability to retaliate or without the ability to threaten to retaliate. Uh, and uh, moreover, even though uh, you know the objections are raised that there are, there are going to be 24 standard missile threes deployed on land for the first time each in uh, Romania and Poland, and that 48 missiles, you know, collectively would not be enough to, uh, you know, to um, prevent uh, retaliation or the capacity to to retaliate. 
the well, I think what's being missed is that the U.S. has 61 Arleigh Burke class destroyers and 22 Ticonderoga, Ticonderoga class uh, cruisers, uh, altogether 83 warships equipped to carry standard missile threes. And depending on how much how many they can place in each of these ships, you're talking about you know the potential of thousands of interceptor missiles that can be very quickly moved into any part of the world into the Persian Gulf, where Hillary Clinton has recently indicated they want to expand the U.S. missile system based in Europe. Uh, you know, the, the radar, expand radar that was stationed in Turkey in January of this year. Turkey, of course, is a country that borders both Syria and Iran and is uh, only separated from Russia by Georgia. And uh, discussion by um, Ivo Dalder, the American ambassador of the United Nations, and a story about two or three months ago that he offered uh, India to join the NATO uh, interceptor missile program, um, you know, uh, uh, substantiates the uh, the claim by Russian and other officials. This is not a theater or local missile shield in Eastern Europe. This is part of a comprehensive and integrated global interceptor missile system. All right. Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We're right out of time. But uh, certainly people who are interested in following this issue could do no better than to continue to follow Stop NATO at rickrosoff.wordpress.com. Once again, there will be a link in the show notes for tonight's episode at corporatereport.com slash radio. But on that final note, are there any other places that you would direct people's attention to who are interested in this upcoming Chicago summit? Yeah, by all means, uh, I don't have the address real quickly, but just uh, CANGATE, C-A-N. G, the number eight, uh, uh, Coalition Against uh, NATO G8 War and Poverty Agenda website uh, for information about the rally at, uh, on, on Sunday the 20th and other activities occurring in Chicago. Excellent. Well, I certainly hope that people will turn out in force, and uh, I won't be there to, uh, to cover it, but hopefully once I return we'll be able to have you back on. Rick Rosoff, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you to all out there for listening, and I'll talk to you again in 23 hours.